What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Stuff Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Uh, Mark and James in a little little different places today. It's Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you guys are enjoying some hot dogs, hamburgers, some good old beer, whatever it is, whatever your drink of choice is. We had a good Memorial Day. Uh, would have been better if the Mets won. I think we could all agree with that if the Mets took this series from the Colorado Rockies. Really would have made for a phenomenal Memorial Day, but of course, they ended up losing this series, losing the last two games of the series in a little bit of frustrating fashion, I think, to say the least. Of course, me and James are going to talk about it with you guys, as we always do. So make sure you are following us on all our social media at MetsDup, M-E-T-S-D-U-P, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this podcast, go check out the New York Mets YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. We drop the videos every single time we have a new episode. And uh, listen, if you're listening, that's what's next. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, Drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. It really does help us out. James, let the people know, what have you been up to on Memorial Day weekend besides watching the Mets? What have been up to? You know, hung out with some friends, just stayed in the city. I'm at a buddy Tyler and Eric's house right now, recording in their wonderful office. They uh, just moved into this place, and they're both massive sports fans, guys we grew up with. And one of them's a Yankee fan, one's a Mets fan. They're having a massive duel in their office because they share an office about how much memorabilia is going to be in each wall for each team, which is very funny. But... Yeah, we're both recording at different places, and uh, tell the people what you're up to. Yeah, I am currently at a shout to best friend Alex Lopez. I'm at his parents' new house down the shore. Uh, definitely a different vibe in their office. There's like oil paintings and like mirrors. Like I, I don't think I even own a mirror in my entire house outside the one that's in my bathroom that that was there. I don't, I don't own a mirror or otherwise. No, you don't own a mirror. No, I have the mirror in the bathroom. That's the only mirror I have. I don't. Where am I going to put a mirror? Where do you put mirrors? I have one like above my dresser in my room. Hmm. But did yeah. did you buy that mirror or did it come with the dresser? I thrifted it like years ago when we were living in Astoria. Yeah, you're a thrifty man. Yeah. But I mean, hey, we're, all, we're talking about furniture because we've been, we've been disappointed once again by an end of season series here for the Mets. And in a game that something that sounds like a broken record that we said a lot in this show, one of those that you felt like they were the one last year that they, they couldn't find a way to figure out and like break through for it today. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's let's be honest. The offense showed up. Obviously, in Coors, it's an offensive environment. The bats always come alive for every single person that comes through. But the Mets' bats were not the reason for this series going the way that it did. The Mets were not able to get pitching. So, I mean, even even a late comeback in Game 3, like Tommy Pham hit that triple off the wall. He had a great game in Game 3. The Mets lost that one 11-10. They lost a close one in Game 2. And in Game 1, they, they smacked around the Rockies. Just need to get better pitching realistically out of the series it's also tough to kind of gauge what's going on with the pitching too because when you're in cores as we know everybody gets hit it doesn't matter if you're the best pitcher in the world or the worst pitcher in the world you're gonna get hit so it's it's very very odd sometimes to be able to break down what happened but yeah the pitching definitely let us down yeah pitching let us down just i mean yeah it lets you down but again like you said you're in cores like it's just it's difficult place to play like i really commend everyone who ever pitches for the rockies because like making that your home ballpark you almost have to like relearn baseball in like a small weird way, like just to give an example of something from this series, and we'll go through everything more in depth. Justin Verlander's curveball had five less inches of drop on Saturday night compared to the season-long average. Yeah, and that's just simply because the air is thinner. It's out in cores. We you've talked about it many of times. You just you can't really throw a curveball there. It's not a pitch that works. Breaking balls don't have that same snap, that same you know movement that they have when you're uh, on on regular sea level land like the rest of us. No, yeah, and. It's hard. I mean, you guys like you guys have seen like the bullpen like this year. Like as of right now, like the three relievers with the most innings pitched are David Robertson with twenty two and a third, Tom, uh, Steven Negostic with twenty one and a third, and Tommy Hunter with twenty one exactly. 
Like when those are like when your long men are the two relievers who are getting the most work, you can tell the series has been a bit of a slog in terms of pitching. And it just it was that. Like and the, the hard thing is that it started so well on Friday with the much needed third gem in a row for Max Scherzer. He pitched his best game of the season so far with seven innings, eight strikeouts, one or no walks. That now leaves him with over and that only leaves him with two earned runs over his last 18 innings, going back three starts with 19 strikeouts. He was fantastic. He set an unbelievable tone in what would now wind up being the Mets' only win this series. Yeah, no, I mean, thank goodness for Max Scherzer pitching the way he did. We desperately needed it, as you said, like knowing what happened the rest of the series. And from the start, like he was he was pretty money in, which is good because we know Scherzer has kind of been struggling a little bit since the suspension for the sicky stuff that happened all the way back with the Dodgers had been a little bit shaky, but the last few starts have looked really good. So there's an encouraging sign that you need as a Mets fan from the pitching side. Max Scherzer looks to be at least getting closer to back to where he once was and gave us a very, very much needed great performance on the mound. Yeah, and then, yeah, just, he just looks super in control. Like not many guys were on base. The Rockies very barely even got guys in the scoring position. His fastball led the way again, had nine whiffs. Slather was next, and he had five different pitches that had multiple whiffs, which was that's that's kind of the seems like to be the way that Max Scherzer is becoming this like this again like new reinvention of Max Scherzer, where just throw a lot of pitches at you, keep you off balance, do a lot, and he was totally in control, which is a really really great start from a guy who has thrown a pretty decent amount of innings in Coors Field and seems to really have a, a plan of attack to do it. And maybe anecdotal here, but I I feel like I saw him hit 94, 95 a couple more times in this start than he had in previous starts too which is super encouraging, especially from a guy who said, I need to get my velocity back up because that's when I'm at my best. So being able to touch 94-95 as consistently as Scherzer did in this game, great great sign for me as a fan. Like That makes me go, there he is. There's Max Scherzer. Yeah, and also great games from the top two in our order, Francisco Lindor and Brandon Nimmo. Lindor, the two-run home run in the first, that was kind of, wound up being almost te- technically all we needed. Another RBI in the fifth, a sack fly late, four RBIs. A sack fly late was also a weird play. A lot of Mets fans were a little agitated because the camera really made it look like it was going over the fence, and Jerickson Profar's, um, I don't know, inauspicious like route to the baseball also made it look like that. He winds up catching it, like sliding in from the warning track on the heel of his glove. Bizarre, strange, weird play, but great camera for Lindor. His best, uh, I guess, since the Cleveland series. Like, this is his best since the Friday before. He's just really get hot on Fridays. And then Brandon Nimmo, we did the estimate about it this week, always has these huge games in Coors Field. He said, he said something like 20 or 30 or 40 people were at the game Friday. Another 100 came on Saturday, and Friday night he had two triples. Second time this year a player has had two triples, joining C.J. Abrams. Both times happened in, in Coors Field. And three of the last four times a player's had a two-triple game has been in Coors Field, too. Oh, yeah, third, of course. Third of those going back to 2020, Kyle Tucker in the shortened season. Look but, at us picking up these stats without Johnny Stats here. The, the podcast, boys, let me tell you. We don't take any days off. It's Memorial Day. We're out at our own respective barbecues. We show up to record. Johnny Stats, where are you at? And I know he won't. I know he won't hear this, so I could say it. No, of course, Johnny Vanity. John comes. John comes for the in-person episodes to get his face on the camera. But now we have to do another. Um, we have to do another secret word. Make sure John's not going to listen. What's going to be? Uh, uh, pecan. 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 That'll be pecan. If John tells us pecan this week is a ballpark, we'll know. But also. 24th two-triple game in Mets history for Brandon Nimmo on Friday night. First to do it since Ahmed Rosario in 2018. And this is the craziest stat. Where was it? Was it in Coors? No, it wasn't in Coors. That one, I believe, was in Philadelphia, Friday night where the Mets lost big and he had a massive game. Okay, yeah, I think I know which game you're talking about. Jose Reyes had eight two-triple games in his Mets career. That's so many. That's a ridiculous amount of times to have done something like that. Something's also just like, I feel like it's less in... The modern games, triples, maybe just like less guys who are really fast and have a lot of power who like hit more often. But 
I thought that was just mind-blowing that happened. But he also walked three times, scored three runs, just attacked by those two at the top of the order. Bullpen got tight late to close it. It was This was a good game on Friday night. Yeah, no, just just a straight-up clean, easy win from the start. We got uh, David Robertson into the game as well. Brooks Raley got a little bit into some trouble early. Got the uh, two guys on to lead off the inning with a couple walks, but then Adovino came in, closed the door. Like you said, 5-2 win. I wish there was more good to talk about. Like the, the That game was just very straightforward. There is not much in-depth to go about there. Uh, besides Lindor and Scherzer and, and Nimmo really having those good games for us. Game two now, which happened on Saturday, a little bit more to talk about. We mentioned it earlier that Verlander just wasn't really sharp in this one, and part of it probably has to do with being at Coors. But the Mets, man, they they really, really rallied back in this one. You got to tip the cap to the offense again. They showed up big time, put up seven, including coming back from a 6-0 deficit uh, going into the fourth inning. They scored a run. Then they put five up in the sixth, one up in the seventh, tied the game back up, or even took the lead at that point. Uh, but the bullpen just couldn't shut it down, and unfortunately it was your guy Jeff Brigham too. I know it was. I mean, the Brigham thing, it's kind of funny because now, like for better or worse, for the rest of the way here, and I think it's definitely going to be for better, like my name has become synonymous with Jeff Brigham. So like yeah. every single time he comes in a game, I'm tagged multiple times on Twitter. And now, of course, when he gives up some runs, I'm tagged like 15, 20 times on Twitter. I get the barrage of mentions, which is always a fun time. And you're like, oh, what? Oh, 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 okay. But he just, and we've talked about this before in the show, like it's not specific to Brigham. Like the pitch, the sweeper, which is his signature premier pitch, the one that is the Frisbees that come out of his hand that make right-handed hitters spin. It's just never going to be as good against lefties because like just speaking, like logically for a second, if you're a hitter and a pitch is breaking towards you, you're going to see much better than the one breaking away from you. You have a much better chance to make contact with it because you have more room for error here and you just see it better. And there's a great article from last, uh, last September by Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. He's a really good writer. He's been with Fangraphs a little while about um, kind of the cost-benefit analysis of sweepers, like the differences between sweepers and sliders. He can explain it much better than I. And kind of about Ben Clemens also had an interesting situation happened this weekend where um, he wrote a really good article about Nolan Gorman's breakout like a week and a half ago. And then um, David Adler wrote kind of a similar one. He used the same player comp, which I thought was kind of interesting. But shout out Ben Clemens because he does a lot of good work. And the big point here was that um, the sweepers give up worse contact against opposite-handedness than basically any other pitch splits in baseball. Like the slider is not, is of course, it's going to be a, little, a lot worse, like for lefties versus righties, as a pitch that moves similarly to a sweeper, where it's more horizontal than vertical. Curves and changeups, this, uh, the, ops, the, the splits aren't as vast, but sliders and sweepers are more of a comp. And sweepers are significantly worse on contact compared to sliders, and even just compared to other pitches in general. The sweepers, so far this season, against opposite handedness, hitters are slugging 299 against them. Like, ISO 299. ISO 299, you're right. Take that back. So opposite-handedness, left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers are I have a 299 ISO against sweepers. Against all pitches in the entire league, much together, is 226. That's a very, very, very big difference. That's also against a 240 ISO for right-handers on contact with the sweeper. It's a vast difference, and that just kind of happened. He just hung a sweeper after a long at-bat to Ryan McMahon. And Ryan McMahon loves to have good series against the Mets. The, Especially I, in course. Oh my god, especially in course. It's, it's ridiculous. And also, that same at-bat, though, he did get screwed on a cutter top of the zone, which I've been talking about. Has It was a pitch that he's been trying to bring on against lefties, bring them to like get them out better. And it was basically right down the middle, and the ump called it a ball. Dude, even Gary on the broadcast goes, oh, um, that's a ball, I guess. Like, <laughs> I don't know how they miss it. Umpiring's been horrible. I'm calling out the umpires. I do it like three or four times a year. This is my episode. Umpires have been horrible. We gotta clean it up. Either that or the pitch tracking has been completely broken. And I, I tend to believe that the guys who are making a judgment call are probably messing it up rather than like the statistical analytical data system that is working on screen. But yeah, 
definitely got screwed by that call. And like you said, it's just a little unfortunate uh, with the left-handed hitter. Just kind of drops into the sweet spot. Like where you put it as a righty pitcher is on like that lower outer half against righties, and that's what makes that pitch so good and induces so much weak contact. But with a lefty, it's like the sweet spot. You ask a left-handed hitter, where do you want to pitch? Normally, they say low and in. So the pitch just doesn't really vibe well for lefties, like you said. And, it, you know, it's a shame because the Mets really did put up a great comeback. We had uh, Pete Alonso hit that big home run, his 20th of the season. The dude's an absolute beast. I mean, talk about one of the better hitters in baseball. Pete Alonso's name needs to be in that conversation for sure. Then another name that might be uh, coming into the conversation is one of the better hitters in baseball right now. El Troll, man. Francisco Alvarez. We I feel like it's probably maybe even getting annoying to a point of how much we talk about this guy and how much we we gas him up. But it's not even like, it's not even a, a gas up. The guy is just simply incredible. Here's some stats for him in the month of May. 21 for 68, that's a 309 average with seven homers, 17 RBIs, and a, uh, I, don't, I don't know, James, you ever heard of a 1087 OPS? How's that sound to you? It's insane. Also, after Sunday, he hit his fifth home run in eight games. It's crazy. It's 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 a scene what he's doing right now. He has his full season OPS up to 885, and that was from in the 500s after his first three weeks in the majors. He's hitting 270 just from batting average. He today finally is the first time he struck out going back how many games? Oh, Saturday was the first time he struck out since uh since May 16th. It's pretty good. Yeah, so that was that that was the beginning of the Tampa Bay series. That was the first time he struck out Saturday. He struck out two more times today, of course, but. It's we're getting to a point now where it's like it's, it's become very obvious to every single person how good he is. We saw him move up to second in the lineup on Sunday. That was amazing. And God, yeah, the the, fan, the fancy baseball people are really getting into this too because now the conversation is like, how many catchers would you actually have for the rest of the season of Francisco Alvarez? And and he's suddenly put himself in the elite tier of like Will Smith, Salvador Perez, like Adley Rushman, like Sean Murphy when he's hot, I guess. Like he's Jason a great like, mutual. Like that that's the tier of catchers now. Francisco Alvarez is legitimately like not even. Not being facetious, not being homers, not being biased. He's very much inside that tier. If you don't think he is, that's probably because you have a bias against the Mets, honestly. Like, truthfully, it's you saying, like, I hate the Mets because the guy hits the ball hard. He plays great defense. He doesn't swing and miss. He gets on base. There really isn't anything that he doesn't do well. I'll say the dude's just an all-around stud. No, and and he was a, he was a part of the Kid Barrage on Saturday night. There was that big rally in the sixth inning where all three of them did have a hit, culminating in the Alvarez Home run. Fientos had two hits. Alvarez had another hit as well. And he got thrown out, of course, but he's still a good, still a big knock. He, he still likes to have his fun back there. Like, he's still a 21 oh, yeah. year old kid, but he's just hitting the absolute, like, crap out of the ball on like, a regular basis. It's, and it, it is interesting now that all these kids are up and they are, we are getting huge contributions from Alvarez, from Brett Bailey. Fientos is playing here and there. He's getting some good swings and still having a little bit of those rookie struggles. And it still just always comes back to the pitching. It keeps coming back to the pitching this year. And, it was just Sunday afternoon was just such another harsh example of it where the Mets give up two runs to start and then they put up a huge six spot. Feels like, wow, we really keep the good times are still moving. We're getting runs and runs and runs. Then you come out for the fourth inning and Tyler McGill just can't get out of an inning again, gives up a couple two out hits, can't put guys away. Once again, situation where the breaking balls just weren't really having what they had to be. Talks about how great the slider was as like a forward part of his repertoire last start. He only threw eight of them. Of course, we're in course field. Huge reason for that on Sunday. Also, only 10 curveballs. Lost six inches of drop on average with that curveball today compared to his other starts this season. Two inches of drop on that slider. As we just started talking about him having more depth on that pitch recently. Tried to throw a lot more change-ups. Only got one whiff. The fastball got hit, but he still didn't allow a ball in play of more than 102 miles an hour off the bat. Like, just for a frame of reference, Tommy Pham did that three times himself today. 
<laughs> and Tyler Tyler McGill didn't even allow one of those. So like it was another thing where it's like you just can't get that last strike and that ground ball just goes into the wrong spot or that bloop falls right in front of somebody. And I'm not gonna like really just diminish like the Rockies offensive effort because they did get ten hits off Tyler McGill. Yeah. And like there were still plenty of hard hit balls, but it's just like there's always that one little just thing, that one little spot, that one little inning where it's like if you can get through this, kinda like how we felt with um with Sanga on Wednesday night, where you got got through that inning, got to say Suzuki out. Like if, if McGill could have gotten out of that fourth inning, allowing one or two runs instead of the big barrage or four, maybe. And then Steven Ugosa comes in the next inning and just got Ryan Mc, he got Ryan McMahon, Charlie Blackman, like Randall Gritchick, the these guys these guys really got to him. Yeah, I mean it's just so tough because like even for a guy like McGill, like I think we've been saying he's like trying to find that like that out pitch, right? And it seems like maybe that slider or that curveball could be those pitches. And then you go to Coors and those pitches are less effective. So it's going to be even less of an out pitch than it has been. Guy like Steven Nagosik, pretty straight fastball. The slider is like, it's it's fine, right? It's it's solid. It has some good shape. It, but, crazy, yeah. for, but for a guy who's definitely struggled and maybe hasn't like figured out exactly what kind of pitcher he is or how to pitch to his best potential just yet, going to Coors is a nightmare place for him too. It's just, it was a really, really bad combination of what happened and it's a shame because like we said the Mets offense was clicking the Mets offense was clicking we put up 10 runs today and it stinks to lose a game when you win 10 runs and I don't think you guys want to hear it, but that's also just like Coors Field a little bit too it's it's what happens it's chaos games yeah it would have just the only thing is with the chaos games it would have felt really good to come out on top of one of the chaos games like the fact that you won, you won the one easy and you lost both 50 50s like that's just not that's just not the recipe and that's really annoying now looking back at it, especially we got the two horses, and we got. So we got, I think we scored twenty-two runs in three games of the series. Like, yeah, really, you, you got the bats going. You turned the lineup over. We got really big performances from again. We said it before. Tommy Pham had a mark, marky game, best game as a Met. Yeah. Like a few times we've said this now. The guy had three balls in play over one hundred three and a half miles an hour, and his one out came with a, a ninety-one. It was his triple. It was a home run. Twenty-two out of thirty ballparks in the league. <laughs> he just he was smashing the ball all over the field, and it was like, all right. Like, we're getting something here. We really, and that was a huge part of that rally that was, remind me, the fourth inning where the lineup flipped, the lineup spun, and you got back to the top where newly minted two way that Francisco Alvarez was able to cash it in with a big time home run from, I almost, I almost made the big time Tommy joke and get confused here. But yeah, it was just, just frustrating when you go back on the other side and you're like, ah, right, you can't hold him down. Yeah. And I mean, thank goodness for the off day because I do not want the Mets coming back from Coors and just jumping right into a game. So Monday, no game. Of course, we know we start the series against the Phillies on Tuesday, which is an important one. Uh, I know the Phillies aren't playing particularly good baseball right now, and they've been struggling a little bit, as have the Mets. We know both teams have not been playing to their you know top potential, but it is important to come out and play the Phillies well, uh, get some get some wins against them, especially at home. I, I Again, this team is by no means bad. We just we haven't really hit our stride yet. We thought we did a little bit with that raising Guardians, cooled off a little bit with the Cubs and the Rockies. Maybe the Phillies bring an arrival into town. There's a little bit of bad blood there, of course. The Jose Alvarado, he's a rat. Maybe, maybe that sparks something for us. He's not healthy, I believe. Yeah, I know, but he's still like he's a Phil. Oh, he's I'm not still saying. around. Yeah, yeah, he's still he'll he'll be at the park, I'm sure. I think <laughs> I think the most intriguing part of this series is that this is the first time we played the Phillies in 2023, and it'll be on May 30th. Mark, I want you to guess because we talked about this a lot on the show last year about how strange the schedule was. I love to take shots of schedules, you guys know. How many times do you think we had played the Phillies in 2022 by May 30th? How many games do you think we played against them? I'm going to go 12. 12 is exactly correct. And Bang. as 
as a caveat, one was rained out. So 13 were scheduled. So thir- wow. 13 games in 2022 were scheduled between the Mets and the Phillies before May 30th. And we, are, we have played zero up until that point in 2023. It's, Those 13 it, games would also be more than we would even play them this season, right? You only yep. play your division opponent 12, I think? Yep, sure is. So it's... It's another, it's another, another victory for the modern schedule. But it's so, it's so bizarre that we're we're going to be basically in June. We're going to pass Memorial Day without playing one of our premier divisional rivals. Before we get going into the series preview, let's just go ahead and do the estimate. As we know, I guess twelve. James game, I uh, guess ten. I won that one, so I take a lead back up one. Johnny stats, of course, can't can't be here. He's got a barbecue or something, something more important than the messed up podcast. It seems. Didn't tell us, yeah. Didn't didn't tell us. We'll take it over here. He he didn't give us a great one, so we came up with our own. And James, what was it? How many total bases by the kids in this three-game series of the Phillies? We saw Saturday all through in the lineup. Vientos played two games in a row, and I think Buck had actually said on Friday night that he would play three games in a row. So that is, yeah. if everything goes according to plan, he will again be in the lineup on Tuesday evening. So the question is, and I'm going to pull up the pitching matchups just to tell you and tell the people in the moment. Yeah, it's important because we know yeah. that lefty-righty is going to be uh, important, it seems. Yes, because there is a lefty on the mound Tuesday, Ranger Suarez, who came back about a week and a half ago for the Phillies against Kodai Sanga, 7-10. Wednesday, Carlos Carrasco versus Aaron Nola, ace-off, Wednesday evening. First. And then Thursday, matinee, 1 o'clock, Scherzer versus old friend Taiwan Walker. So getting one lefty from wow. the Phillies. Yeah. Okay, let's let's work this out in my head. I'm trying to think. I don't have paper. I have nothing. I'm. This is not my house, so... I'm just going to have to say it out loud. All right. I'll flip and you say it at the same time. We'll count Th- down. There is, there is a marker and a tissue next to me. Should I write it on a marker yeah, with a marker and a tissue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let me grab that. Let me grab that. You you talk to the people while I go grab that. Yeah, I'll talk to the people. And otherwise, like, coming into the Philly series, just started to do half of the preview now. Again, strange we haven't played them yet, but we're going to get Tywin Walker again, old friend. He's not exactly having the best year, but you guys know you guys know what you get with Walker. He's going to be able to bear down, pitch a good game. We're going to miss old friend Zach Wheeler, thankfully, coming off his best start of the year on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. Aaron has been hot and cold, but we know he always really shows out when he comes to City Fields. Probably his favorite place to pitch. I was like, it could be, that could be a famous thing where Chipper Jones named the kid Shea. Aaron Nola's going to name the kid, the kid City. He just he loves, he loves pitching here. You got it? You ready, right? I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm just I'm calculating my numbers here. Yeah, I got to think about it, too. Okay. Just, just about, about how many home runs Francisco Alvarez is going to hit. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to go here. Wow, this actually has turned out like way better than I thought on this napkin. It's a great marker. Shout out, shout out, yellow sharpie markers. Yeah, it's a great. It's it's popping. All right, ready? Yeah, three, two, one. Ooh. I got fifteen. I went twelve. You want to know what originally I had written? I had twelve written, and then you brought the Francisco Alvarez home runs, and I was like, "Hey, that guy can hit a couple of those home runs there," and that really skews it. So I wanted to make sure I was higher than you because I didn't want to. I don't want to get gypped out if Francisco starts the ball out. Like, he, we know he can. And we know he quite literally has been. Five home runs in eight games for Francisco Alvarez. Doesn't even include the multi-home run game. That was a week and a half ago in his <laughs> the, the the Cincinnati one. But, I mean, otherwise, like, this Phillies team is pretty similar to the one you guys knew and loved so much from last April and May. The big difference is, of course, Trey Turner being in town yeah. now. Trey Turner is having, by all accounts, an incredibly disappointing season. I'm not... I'd still I'm only saying this because I still 100% believe in his future prospects as a baseball player. Like, I, yeah, when you're as good as Trey Turner for as long as you are, a bad seven weeks that just happens to be in the season is going to be magnified because it just does look like that. But his chase race not so good. He's not listing the ball as much. He's not getting to as much power. We know he's going to get hot though in city field because we're saying this. There's absolutely course, no yeah. idea. We're gonna we're gonna jumpstart Trey Turner's entire career. But 
at least worth noting that this is the first time we're playing the Phillies in what feels like a generation where they actually do have a player at shortstop. I uh, I see a player on their roster that I've legitimately never heard of. Have you heard of Dalton Guthrie? Nope, never have. Dalton Dalton Guthrie. Uh, he's the son of Mark Guthrie, who I believe is the oh no, no relation to Jeremy. I thought he had a relation to Jeremy, but. Yeah, son of Mark Guthrie, Dalton Guthrie, is an outfielder, third baseman, second baseman. Interesting. I mean, this the Phillies have Bryce Harper, who's been phenomenal. I mean, he's, he's still Bryce Harper, still one of the best hitters in all of baseball. Kyle Schwarber does the Kyle Schwarber thing where I walk, I hit home runs, and I strike out. Um, your boy Edmundo Sosa, I think he's cooled off a little bit, right, if I'm correct? He's, he's a considerably cooler May, as well as most of the young Phillies who broke out in April. Brandon Marsh, Bryson Stodd, they've all had much cooler Mays than Aprils, but they all are still playing at least solid baseball all around. JT Romuto is still playing well, but probably a quarter of a step back from the JT Romuto we knew in his prime. Boehm looks like a good player. Your favorite, your favorite Philly, of course. Yeah. Nick Castellanos has rebounded. He's he's actually hitting 300 right now. He's only just five of them. Nick Castellanos? Oh, okay. I thought you called him Nick Castellanos. <laughs> I was like, what? I might, I, might, I might skip the back half of the word, you know. It's his Memorial Day over here, but... Yeah, we're having fun. Yeah, he's had he's at least gotten he's been better than he was a year ago. He seems to be sacrificing a lot of. I'm actually I'm not gonna say what I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna say what I'm gonna say. No, no, no. <laughs> good catch, good catch. He's been an extra base hit machine this year. That's a true yeah. fact. All the guy does is hit doubles. He's one of your favorites, but it's a very important game because the Phillies are a team like the Mets right now. Who's probably we're probably not playing up to their standards. We're going to be a team you're directly competing with for either the National League East or a wild card spot when it comes down to it, and. We all talk about the diminished importance of the regular season in this modern baseball with the added playoffs and with the less divisional games. This series is not diminished. The three games you're no. playing against the Phillies are going to add a lot, a lot of stake to whether you're going to make the postseason or not. And sure, this is it's your weekday in May to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. These games are going to be vitally important to the Mets' final season standing. I'm really excited to get at City Field for these games. I haven't been, because I wasn't able to go to all, any of the Braves games at City Field, so I haven't been in like a real real rival atmosphere in quite some time at City Field. So I'm excited to uh, see some of those Philly fans and hopefully be able to talk a little bit of trash to them. Yeah, yeah. the Marlins didn't scratch your itch? No, no. The uh, I mean, the one guy that we knew was a Marlins fan has now switched to a Mets fan. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think they really got much of a fan base out here. In terms of pitching, you mentioned Nola, Taiwan Walker, and who was the other guy? Oh, Ranger Suarez, Ranger right? Suarez. Yep. Tell me a little and- bit about Ranger and all those guys. Ranger is coming off an injury. He is not a guy who's going to strike you out. He's going to try and just lull you to sleep with sinkers and change-ups. And we've seen that as Mets fans go two ways. We've seen some games where we've just sent Ranger Suarez right to the moon. We've seen some games where I think one time Ranger Suarez went eight innings shutout against us. So you kind of just know it's going to be about where the bad of the balls lie. It's going to be about getting a few through at the right times. That's it. And that's going to really set the tone for the series because with Nola going the next day against Carrasco, Carrasco has pitched well, as we know, but... That is, I would say, probably that the most significant advantage the Phillies do have in the series is that Wednesday game. So getting off in a good foot Tuesday night against Ranger Suarez, who's coming off against some just hot and cold games. He's not really getting a lot of swings and misses. Just get the barrel on that ball. Find a way against him. As he's still even acclimating himself to the season. Of course, yeah. And Nola had been not as sharp this year, but the last few, he actually, it was ever since he went to Coors, right? He actually started to be yeah. a lot more sharp. Has been looking like his Aaron Nola self uh, contract year. Just just worth noting with Aaron Nola there. Uh, contract year with the Phillies. Still a very good pitcher. We know that he has had his way with the Mets, to say the least, uh, the last few years. Although I know we beat him and Wheeler all the time last year, but they still pitched well. No, and Nola does it especially in city fields where he's very good against the Mets. That's where he tied Tom Seaver's consecutive strikeout record. That's where he went toe-to-toe with DeGrom on August night last year, which is one of the probably the better games being in the ballpark all of last season. And 
he's I mean, I think Aaron Olick doesn't get as much respect as he deserves as a guy who is one of the premier pitchers in the entire league and he has been for a while. Like for him to be putting up two hundred innings going back to twenty eighteen, as the offensive environment changes and the baseball changes, Aaron Olick continues to be just incredibly solid, steady, sturdy pitcher who strikes guys out, doesn't allow them any walks, like finds a way to keep keep the ball in the yard. He's he's fantastic. And I just really I hope I hope we get to him. Hope all everything no. all the credit I'm giving him, I hope that means we score twelve rounds off him. Got any credit to give Taiwan Walker, former Met? Uh, okay, let's let's ask this: Taiwan Walker, cheer or boo at the field? What do you think? I think he'll for sure get a cheer. I don't know, Taiwan was a was a fan favorite, I believe. Oh, Ty- I mean Taiwan's the man. I did I ever talk about the story when I saw him at the airport? I don't believe on the show. So I was in Dallas. I went to the Taylor Swift concert. Fantastic concert. Shout out to all the the Swifties listening to this podcast. I would say there's maybe two, six, two, I think. Seven. Six, two to six. Maybe that's just, yes, Swifty. Yeah, if you're a Swifty, tweet us. Um, I know she just had her concert in New Jersey, and people were going crazy. But Aaron Rodgers I was, was coming. Crazy. Yes, I was coming back. Uh, I was at the airport on Sunday, and on my flight going back to New York, I see Taiwan Walker, who's a friend of the podcast, friend of the friend of the boys. Here, I was like, "Hey, Taiwan, like, what's up, man? How you doing?" He's like, "Oh, great. Had a nice conversation with him. Said good luck, even though you're on the Phillies. You know, don't. I'm still a nice guy. I'm not Animal. I hope the best for Taiwan, but." I hope they lose. So, Taiwan, I- I'm going to be cheering for Taiwan at least. I don't know about anybody else, but I'll definitely be cheering, even though he signed with the bad guys. Yeah, but, I mean, you got his bag, and you always got to respect the king for getting their bag. But Taiwan just wound up being a really, really good, useful player for the Mets the last two years. Gave a lot of good innings, kept us in the game. Yeah. Saw him kind of reinvent himself as a career, too. Like, he'd only thrown what we always said at the stat, like, during 2020, uh, 21 season. He'd thrown, like, 90 innings combined or 50 innings in the last three years. So it was cool to have seen him, like, get himself to a point where now he's like a pitcher who commands a $20 million per year salary. And he's been making these changes with his uh, his repertoire, like those two years with the Mets, like really increasing the use of the split change. And this year it's been his most thrown pitch by a wide margin, 35% of yeah. it versus only 23% fastballs. That was something that we were kind of talking about and like hearing him talk about and like watching it happen live in the team. And the Phillies have dove in like two like head first with it and keep 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 banging that drum. Yes, similarly with all the guys that ever throw those splitters, uh, you'll know from the start if Taiwan's got it or not. You'll know exactly how the game's going to go. If that splitter's working, he's probably going to pitch well. If he's not, probably going to be able to get to this guy. So keep an eye out early against Taiwan on Thursday, like you said. Otherwise, I don't I don't think we really have anything else. I, it's Memorial Day. We want to go back and uh, hang out with our friends and family and all that kind of stuff. So I think we're going to leave you there. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Follow us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Like we said, if you want to see the YouTube version of anything that we do, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey. Drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. It really does help us out. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at GiraffeNeckMark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching. And we'll catch you after the Philly series, hopefully with a positive episode at City Field. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys. See you next time.